This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. If you're going to class, you are dismissed. Bruce wanted me to make sure to let you all know Uh, the Cedar Springs Lady Christmas Party uh, sign-ups are on the back. Uh, you guys want to go to the, the ladies' uh, Christmas party, um, make sure to sign up for that. It is December 2nd from 1130 to 2 at the Kemmerlin home. More information on this in the back. Done. Good morning. We're going to be in John chapter 2. This morning, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. I know many of you have read uh, the C.S. Lewis Narnia Chronicles. Uh, in one of those chronicles, The Voyager, The Dawn Treader, uh, you might remember a scene where uh, when the kids finally get to uh, Aslan's land after a long sea voyage, uh, Lewis describes how they saw in the distance on the grass this really bright light that they couldn't look at for too long. And he says, as they grew closer, they, they realized that it was a lamb, a little lamb on the grass. And he says, as they grew closer still, Lewis writes, the lamb said in its sweet, milky voice, come and have breakfast. Then they noticed for the first time that there was a fire lit on the grass and fish roasting on it. They sat down and ate the fish, hungry now for the first time for many days. And it was the most delicious food they had ever tasted. Lamb, said uh, Lucy asked, is this the way to Aslan's country? Not for you, said the lamb. For you the door into Aslan's country is from your own world. But as they were talking, C.S. Lewis described how the lamb's snowy white wool began to slowly change into a tawny gold. And he grew and he grew until they realized the lamb was actually Aslan himself, towering above them and scattering light from his mane. Well, a couple weeks ago, we heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, when he saw Jesus walk by. Last week, we saw Jesus have compassion on a wedding party when he turned the water into wine, uh, illustrating in a way how he was going to change how people are purified. However, this week, this week, John's going to juxtapose those two stories with a very different one. You see, this week, John's going to tell us about a time when that lamb became a lion. When that lamb became a lion. Look at John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. John writes, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. 
So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The, Jew, the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we sang earlier, I pray that you would awaken each soul and unstop each ear. I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate your word for our minds and for our hearts so that, Lord, we could see you better, so that we could see our Savior better, so that the Spirit could work in our hearts through your word in a greater way. Father, all these things I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, because He is our Savior. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at what happened uh, when the lion became a lamb, or when the lamb became a lion, excuse me. And in the first section, in verses 14 through 17, the first thing John tells us is that when the lamb became a lion, he cleansed the temple. When the lamb became a lion, he cleansed the temple. The first thing I want to make sure we're all aware of is there's something odd about where this story is in John's gospel. Some of you know this, some of you don't. You see, the rest of the gospels place this event at the end of Jesus' ministry, right after the triumphal entry, about five days before he was crucified. But John puts it at the beginning of his gospel. Why is that? Well, there's really only two options. Either uh, this is the same event as the other gospels, and John just put it out of order chronologically. And we know that's possible because we know that the Hebrew mind wasn't as concerned about chronology as we are. The other option is Jesus could have cleansed the temple twice during his ministry, once at the beginning and once at the end. This issue has been debated for centuries because there's evidence for both. But here's the thing. I'd propose it doesn't matter. I'd propose that it doesn't matter whether Jesus did this twice or, or John put this story out of order because either way it means the same thing. Either way it means the same thing, meaning whether John intentionally put this story out of order or he intentionally included another time that Jesus cleansed the temple that the disciples did or the other gospel writers didn't. Either way the point is John put this story here for a reason. He put it here for a reason. Okay, great. So why is it so important to be aware of that? Well, it's important because if John wrote his gospel different for a reason, then we need to be careful not to wash out all the details that John uses with details from the other gospels. For example, in both Matthew and Luke's account of this event, they said that Jesus' objection was simply, uh, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. John doesn't say that. And in Mark's account of Jesus cleansing the temple, Mark said that Jesus' objection was, was, he said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Meaning Mark was amplifying how the court of the Gentiles had been taken over and they didn't have a place to worship. But John doesn't say that either. So the first thing we need to do is focus on the details that John uses and not be tempted to fill them in with information from the other gospels. So what are those details? What does John say? Well, look again at verse 14. 
John says that um, in the temple, Jesus found they were selling oxen and sheep, and the money changers, verse 15, made a whip out of cords. He drove them out of the temple. And then verse 16, he said, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So in John's version of this event, what was Jesus' objection? Well, have you ever used a tool for something it wasn't intended to be used for? Like I can remember when I was young and I was working with my dad. Occasionally, might look around, make sure nobody was watching, and then bang a board into place with the back of a drill gun or something that I wasn't supposed to do. But you know what I mean. Have you ever used a tool the way you weren't supposed to? Use pliers for a hammer? Use your mouth to hold screws? Yes? Well, what John's telling us is, is the lamb became a lion because his father's house was being misused. Instead of for worship, these people had turned it into a house of trade or literally an emporium, a flea market, a, 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 a swap meet, if you will. So, so let me set the scene for you. The Passover was when every Jew in the world came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Exodus when Israel got freed from Egypt, which meant at a minimum... Each family was required to sacrifice a lamb during that week. And there were other sacrifices and obligations that they had, but, but at least a lamb. So if you're coming to Jerusalem for the Passover from far away, it was very impractical for you to bring all your livestock with you so you would buy something there in the temple, a lamb or whatever your sacrifice was going to be. But that's not really what bothered Jesus, that people were buying animals here. That's not what bothered him. You see, the law required that your sacrifice be pure. It had to be unblemished. The animal had to be pure. It couldn't be a lame animal. It couldn't be an ugly animal. You had to have a cute one. So, so, so part of what bothered Jesus was that the priests determined if an animal was unblemished or not. So... So what had happened is the religious leaders had created a racket where it didn't matter if you brought your own animal. The priest would just say it was blemished, so you had to buy one of theirs, which, of course, they got a cut. And what happens when someone has a monopoly over a required material? The price skyrockets. And that's the same thing that happened here. So kind of like when you go to a, a sporting event where they don't let you bring anything in so that they can charge you $8 for a bottle of water. These people had jacked up the price on sacrificial animals. But it wasn't just people selling animals. You see in verse 14, this also says there were money changers in the temple. Because another thing the law required um, was called the temple tax, which each Jew over the age of 20 was required to pay annually. However, you couldn't just use any kind of money to pay that tax, or pay for your animals for that matter. You had to pay for them with shekels which were like, think of like temple credits. Um, think of like Chuck E. Cheese tokens. You could spend them at the temple, but nowhere else. But you also couldn't just use any old shekel you had lying around. No, you had to pay for this time at the Passover with a bright, shiny, brand new Tyrian shekel, or a shekel from Tyre that had been perfectly minted for the exact right amount of silver. It's the way Pharisees and priests were. Everything had to be perfect. Um... So another thing that, that bothered Jesus 
is that this exchange where I would give you my Roman or my Greek or my Egyptian currency in exchange for, for shekels, that exchange had become corrupt as well. For example, uh, Jewish historical documents tell us that at the time of Jesus, uh, these money changers would charge you like two hours of labor per half shekel of exchange, no matter how many half shekels you exchange. So you would give these guys your Roman or Egyptian or Greek money. They would give you back two, three, four, five, six shekels and charge you a day's labor for that exchange. It's totally corrupt. The whole thing was a scam. And you multiply all that haggling, all, that an all those animals by at least hundreds of thousands of people. And what you get is a giant mess in the temple. In fact, Josephus said that this circus was commonly referred to as the bazaars of Annas. Annas being the chief priest and the uh, chief crook. It was a zoo. So what bothered Jesus was the whole thing was light years from how the temple was supposed to be used. These people were using the temple to make money, not to worship God. So John tells us in verse 15 that after Jesus made a whip out of cords or ropes, the lamb became a lion and used that whip to drive the animals out of the temple while simultaneously flipping over tables and yelling. I mean, imagine yourself in that scene. There's at least thousands, if not tens of thousands of people and animals milling around the temple mount. And so for some, you know, over in the distance they might see or hear kind of a commotion, but, but that's way over there. But, but those who are close enough watch as, as animals run in every direction because some crazy dude goes nuts and starts flipping over temples and yelling. And it's really easy to look at this passage and be like, yeah, Jesus, get him. But think about the people he's doing this to. I mean, think about the animal sellers. They have a lot of money invested to those animals that are running out the door. And the money changers. Imagine if you went to a very crowded flea market or something like that, tossed a bunch of money on the ground, and let a few bulls loose. What would happen? These guys are, are, are watching helplessly as, as a panicked crowd of people trample and kick and maybe even take some of the shekels that they had to pay up front for. So how do you think they felt? Well, interestingly, John actually tells us how they felt. Because at that moment, he says in verse 17, that the disciples remembered that Psalm 69 said, zeal for your house will consume me. But that's not all Psalm 69 says. You see, Psalm 69 opens with David crying out to the Lord. Because he's, he's sinking in the mire and the, and the mud of those who hate him. And then he details the lies and the accusations that they're attacking him with. So as you read Psalm 69, you begin to wonder, like, why are they doing this to David? Why are they attacking him like this? Until right in the middle of Psalm 69, beginning in verse 8, David says, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Why? Because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproach of those who reproach you have fallen on me. In other words, Psalm 69 says those around David hated him 
because of how zealous he was for the Lord's house, for worship. And he's saying the same thing about Jesus here. He's saying when zeal for his father's house consumed the lamb, he transformed into a lion and the people hated him for it. They hated the zeal that he had for his father's house. They hated him for disrupting the flea market that they had set up in the sanctuary of the Lord. But here's the thing. This lion, he didn't care. He was perfectly fine taking all that reproach because as the text says, zeal for his father's house had so consumed him. Quick question. You ever that zealous about anything? Are you ever zealous about anything where you don't care if, if people think you're nuts or even hate you? I thought about this week, and I think the best I could come up with is, is I might feel that way if someone went after my, my wife or my kids. I might be so zealous that I just didn't care if people didn't like me or didn't hate me. But after thinking about that for a while, the question that I think the Gospel of John brought me back to, the, go- the question that I think he wants us to ask ourselves is this, are we that zealous about worship? Are we so zealous about worship that we don't care if people hate us? Because Jesus here is burning with zeal because of how they're corrupting worship in his father's house. He's absorbed with passion. Concerned that his father's house was being misused, it poured out of him so greatly that these people hated him for it. And listen, every ounce of this lion's passion and anger and zeal was totally righteous. This was not a temper tantrum. This was righteous zeal. That's the first section of our passage this morning. When the lamb became a lion, he cleansed the temple because zeal for his father's house consumed him. But was that it? Did, 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 this, did this lamb become a lion just to cause a scene in the temple? Like, look again at verse 18. John writes, it says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me kind of like a dull British drama, you know, where Jesus goes nuts and starts yelling and flipping over tables in the, in the temple, and all the people around him are like, Here, here, good man. What are you, what are you doing? It sounds a little bit weak, right? But that, that's not what John is saying. You see, when John says that these guys said, What sign do you give us for this? What he's saying is, is while they're walking around trying to pick up their money and get their animals back in the pen, they're, they're like, what the heck, man? Who, what gives you the right to come in here and do this? They're angry. To which Jesus responds in verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And then the Jews said, of course, it's taken 46 years to build this place. And you're going to raise it up in three days? Now, now, 
Can't you just see the disciples are still kind of just standing there in the corner? They were watching this whole thing, and they're like, wow, that escalated quickly. And then Jesus says something like, tear it down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, okay, Jesus, you made your point. <clears throat> Let's tap the brakes here a little bit. I mean, three days, come on, man. But again, was that it? Was making a scene in the temple the extent of, of this lion's zeal? Well, brothers and sisters, the simple answer is a resounding no. Absolutely not. In fact, cleansing the temple was just the tip of the zeal iceberg for this lion. Because look again at verse 21. John writes, he says, that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. And therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered and they believed the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Now, we have to sympathize with these people's confusion a little bit because the temple complex in Jesus' time was absolutely massive. But here's why Jesus can say this. Here's why he's talking about his body. You see, the temple was where God's people worshipped. But why there? Why at the temple? Well, it's because that's where God's presence was. So the people went and worshipped at the temple where God's presence was. So if the temple was where God was, then what does that make Jesus if Jesus is God? Well, that makes him the temple, doesn't it? Which means what John is telling us is that zeal for his father's house, zeal that the father would be rightly worshipped, coupled with his knowledge that man could not, so consumed Jesus that, that this lion allowed himself to be torn apart in order to rebuild the whole thing back up again in three days. He knew both worshiper and worship place had to be torn down and rebuilt the worship center, and the worshipers. Zeal for his father's house so consumed him that like David said in Psalm 69, this, allow, this lion allowed people to spit on him, to mock him, and to even nail him to a cross. Yet, being even further consumed by zeal that his father would be rightly worshipped, the lion continued unto death so he could devour your sin on that cross. Until zeal, more zeal, that you and I would be capable, able to worship the Father, so consumed him that after this lion chased down your enemy of sin and sunk his teeth into its neck, he reduced death to a quivering puddle of nothing when his roar shook the earth as he walked out of that tomb. In other words, not only did the lamb become a lion to cleanse the temple, but consumed with zeal for his father's worship, the lamb became a lion to cleanse you and I as well. And the Bible tells us that he put our enemies to open shame on the cross. The lamb became a lion to cleanse the temple and the people. With that understanding, what I want to do is read you a couple of passages and then ask you a couple more questions. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, As you come to him, 
this Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You, that's you and I, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as what? A spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And it's not just Peter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 18, Paul said, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Here's what I want you to hear. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Here's the question. Do you think the lion is still that zealous about his father's house? Do you think he's still that passionate about his father's temple being rightly used? Because if you do, then do you think that teeth-bearing whip-yielding Lion of Judah's still consumed with zeal that your particular wing of his father's house is being rightly used. Because the answer is this lion hasn't changed. From eternity past to eternity future, he is still the same and will always be the same. Zeal for his father's house still consumes him. It's just his father's house isn't a building anymore. It's you and I. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has become a new addition, a new wing, if you will, of his father's house of worship. Which means I think John wants us to ask ourselves, how do you think the lion feels about your wing of his father's house? Is there anything in your wing of his temple to which the lion would take a whip? Is there anything in your wing of his father's house the lion would flip over because it's in the way of worship? Because as we just read, the Bible's very clear that our lives and our bodies are now where the Lord dwells. And therefore, you and I are now, each of us, a part of the temple. I mean, Paul said at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's temple talk. He says that's your spiritual worship. Think about this. This temple in John, for which Jesus is so consumed with zeal, didn't cost him a nickel. It was a building that they paid for. But you and I, we just heard Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians that we were bought with a price. You, he paid for with his life. So, so for which temple do you think Jesus has more zeal? 
The one that didn't cost him a thing or the one that cost him his life. Meaning, I think if we rightly look at this passage in light of the gospel, when we think about Jesus whipping and yelling, flipping over tables, that's just a warm-up to how zealous he is for you and I. For how we use our bodies. For how we worship God. Think about it. Think about what you use your body for at work, at home. And think about what is getting in the way of worship. Think about how many things you have time to do with your body, but for some reason you don't have time to use your body to worship, to serve others. Listen, brothers and sisters, this lion is still consumed with zeal for his father's house. It's just that now you and I are that house. Now, I know you guys are good Christians, so you think your job right now is to really reflect and, you know, feel guilty and ashamed about how big a loser you are. And I ain't going to lie, that's part of it. I don't want to take that away. If there is guilt that, that brings repentance... If you've got all kinds of things clogging up your temple, getting in the way of worship, then yes, we need the kind of guilt that, that drives us to change that. But I can confidently say that, that I believe this church is a group of people who genuinely desire to rightly worship the Father. I'd say even more importantly that, that I'm confident we're a group of people who are growing or who want to grow in our desire to rightly worship the Father. So rather than condemn, I want to close by trying to give us a greater passion, a greater desire, a greater zeal for our Father's worship. So here's what I want to leave you with this morning. We think a lot about worshiping this lion, Jesus, or even what it's going to be like to worship this lion in heaven when we get there. We think a lot about that. But I want to ask you to think about a slightly different question this week. And that's this. What do you think it's like to worship with the lion? What do you think it's like to stand side by side with this lamb become lion as we too with increasing zeal, use our wing of the temple to worship the Father. Can you hear the zeal in His voice? Can you see the flames in His eyes? Can you feel His roar shaking your body as you worship side by side? Can you, can you see the smile on this lion's face as he turns to look at you and sees you worshiping with him? Brothers and sisters, let that day be today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,